Hey there, how you doing? My name is David, and I have the privilege of serving as the pastor of 6-8 Church here in Vancouver, Washington. What you're about to hear is a message from our Sunday morning gathering, and we hope it encourages and inspires you on your journey to be more like Christ. For more information about 6-8 Church, visit 6-8church.com. That's the number 6 and the number 8 church.com. Today, we're continuing on in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at 1 John 4, 11 through 16. That's going to be our primary text for this morning, as well as John chapter 15. If you want to open your Bibles to those two spots and keep your finger in those two places. But to get us started, we're actually going to talk about something that might seem strange. But we're going to talk about vacuum cleaners and flow. I should have probably done this beforehand. See if I can get into one of these things. Hopefully they work. Hopefully the breaker's not tripped or something. We never use these floor outlets, so good opportunity to put them to use. We paid for them, might as well use them once in a while, right? Flow. I'm not a big you know, engineer kind of guy that understands all of these things. Ah, works. This is my shop vac. My father-in-law gave this to me for Christmas before we had any kids. I've had it for a long time. But, the, you know, you know, I don't know if you know this, but the basics of how a vacuum cleaner work works is flow. You have to have flow, right? You've got a motor in here that's spinning and, and it's turning a fan that's in there and it, the, it rotates air through the hose and then out this outlet. This is one of those that you could take the top off and use it as a blower if you wanted to because air comes in and it goes out. But when you, see if I can talk loud enough over this, When you mess with the flow, when you put your hand over it, you know, you get that kind of fun, cool suction feeling that you do as a kid, right? You ever do this? That's one of the, one of the things that, uh, that we've seen other people do. Not that I've ever done that before, but you know, your cheeks are kind of flexible, so it's fun to do this. I can't do it on my mouth anymore because I've got a beard, so it's not, it doesn't create suction. But if you block the intake, you hear the motor wind up and it gets really high, right? So, the same thing happens when you close the, the outtake, and I don't know if I can do this very well here, but I'm gonna try. Vacuum cleaners work on flow. The air has to flow in and out. And if something, if you suck up something in your vacuum cleaner and it blocks up the hose, your motor winds up and it can't suck anymore because uh, it's got something blocking it. And at the same time, if your filter gets clogged inside this, or if something gets uh, you know, wrapped up in the motor and is sucking the way the air flows through, it also will not suck. So it's not just the intake, but it's also the outtake, right? It's what comes in and what goes out. This is, this is how vacuum cleaners work. Aren't you glad you came to church today to learn about vacuum cleaners? 
I've also said before that uh, about trees, and it's, it's, we, I just pruned our fruit trees a couple of weeks ago up at the house. We've got some apple trees, and um, there's, there's a saying that I've used about fruit trees. If the sap doesn't flow, the fruit won't grow. If the sap doesn't flow, the fruit won't grow. In fact, there are some trees on, uh, on Hayes Road, if you're going up towards the house and you drive the only long straight stretch on Hayes Road was the only opportunity you have to pass somebody. So when you get behind Grandpa, who's going 40 miles an hour, this is your only opportunity to get around Grandpa. And right here, it's where that tree farm is. And across the road, on the north side of the road, there is a, a horse stable, a, you know, a horse facility. And they had these big trees out there in this horse facility and these horses would rub up against the trees. They'd rub all the way around the trees and as they're rubbing on the trees, they're rubbing off the bark. And once they rubbed the bark off all the way around the trees, the trees died and they just recently cut the trees down because they were dead. Because if the sap doesn't flow, the fruit won't grow. The tree cannot survive and the sap flows under the bark. It flows through the bark up into the tree and that's what what is used to grow the tree and produce the fruit. So you gotta have flow. Flow is a, is a universal principle. It's how God designed things to work. There is a, a principle of flow. We see it all around us, right? Streams flow until they're dammed up. If you dam up a stream, then it stops flowing and the people downstream no longer have water. The people upstream have too much water. You, know, you have to be careful when you're messing with with flow and the same thing happens with air and wind you know wind goes in a circle it comes and circles around and you can see this with low pressure systems that we get a lot of times here in the northwest you can see it with hurricanes you can see it with tornadoes air moves in a circle it flows it's got a flow to it the whole earth is built on the idea of flow the seasons flow our blood flows through our veins and it circulates over and over and over and over and over again. Everything is about flow. When it comes to becoming love, we have to be in the right flows. Now we're talking about about becoming love in the context of the light pollution concept, and that there are a lot of lights around us that are distracting us from being able to see God. And there are a lot of things that are flowing into our lives, but are they things of God that God wants flowing into our lives? We, we have a lot of content flowing through us, a lot of ideas, a lot of identities, a lot of stories, a lot of manipulative content that's trying to get us to do things and to be things and to buy things, but do we have the love of God flowing through us in the right way so that we can become love. What does it take to become love? We have to be in the flow. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible today instead of the NIV, and that's on purpose because there is a word that is repeated in these five verses six times that if you're reading in the NIV or other translations, you might miss it because in different sentences they translate the word in different ways. And the word is abide. We read these two verses last week. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us 
and his love is perfected in us. And it's that word abide. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. So his spirit is how we know that we abide in him and he in us. Verse 14, we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. So we don't just see it with our own eyes, we don't just experience it, but that experience of Christ coming to be the Savior of the world is also a story that we tell. It is something that flows through us. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in us and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. I said last week that uh, in, these, in this section of verses, John 4, 7 through 19 or so, uh, that, that the word love is used 27 times, and that, but then the second most used word in, is abide, abide. God abides in us. Last week we talked about the difference between God's love and the world's love and how the primary difference is that God's love gives and the world's love takes. The love of God is all about giving. God has always been a giver. You can see this in the Trinity, in the way that God loves within the Trinity. They've always giving love and worship to one another. You can see a circle, a cycle, a flow of love that exists in the Trinity, that existed before creation, will exist after. This is how God's love works. God gives, God gives, God gives. This is the love of God. But the world's love takes. The world's love is all about taking from others to get things for ourselves. It's all about using others so that we can get the things that we want that make us feel good, that make us happy, that you know, we think make us happy, that bring us what we think is joy, although it always disappoints. But the primary difference is God's love gives, the world's love takes. And then we said that the beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves. If we want to become love, if we want to be people who are characterized by love, we have to unbecome ourselves. This is not something we can muster up the strength to do on ourselves and our own power and our own ability. This is not something we have the capacity to conjure up. This is something that only God can do in and through us, and the way to begin becoming loved is to die to ourselves. And this is how Jesus said it. He said, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. The beginning of becoming love is unbecoming ourselves. But the next step is what we're talking about today. The next step in becoming love is going beyond personal possession to being a person of provision. The beginning of becoming love, or the be becoming love, the next step in becoming love is going beyond personal possession to being a person of provision. 
This coming week in the devotional and the podcast, we're going to look at this concept and these uh, five verses pretty uh, deep. We're going to dig into it quite a bit. We're going to look at how love has to go beyond passion to perfection, and we're going to dig into what perfection means. Love has to go beyond performance to presence, and love has to go beyond principle to personhood. Love has to go beyond principle to personhood, but the overarching idea for this morning and this week is that we have to go beyond personal possession to being a person of provision. Now, I want to talk about the cross for a second. Second, we, we love the cross, and we should love the cross. The cross is an amazing expression of God's love. And, and as we're looking at the cross, it's easy for us to look and see and remember the truth of what, what was spoken by the Apostle Paul, that, that he became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So while we're living in rebellion against God, while our fists are raised to the heavens against God, declaring to him that we are our own ruler and we need no one and we need nothing, that Christ still came into that, still came into the mess, came into the disaster we had created with our rebellion and died for us. It's an incredible expression of love. It is love sacrificing itself for the betterment of others, which is the definition of love we're using during this series. The cross is amazing. We should be amazed by grace. But there's a problem with the cross if we're not careful. The potential danger of the cross is that we can stop with getting what the cross gives us and not giving what the cross gives us. Right? Most of us, many of us, I'm not saying anyone in this room, but many of us stop at getting what the cross provides for us and how it makes us feel. And, and that's a good thing, right? It's good that the cross makes us feel accepted, makes us feel loved, and that the cross actually shows us how far God was willing to go for us. That's a good thing. But when we stop there, when we stop at simply possessing the love of Christ on the cross and don't go beyond that, it creates a flow problem. See, God designed for his love to flow through us. That's the argument I'm going to make this morning. God designed us for his love to flow through us. He wants his love to flow through us. And when we stop at clinging to the love only for ourselves, it creates a flow problem. 1 John chapter 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, if God in this manner loved us, we also ought to in the same manner love one another. This is all in the context of defining what love is. And, and John says, if God so loved us in this manner, what is the manner? 1 John chapter 4.10. The verse right before it says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to stand in our place, to pay the price for our sins that we deserve to pay. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, if God loved us in this manner, then we also ought to, in the same manner, love one another. See, it's a flow. God, God gives it, God pours it out in abundance on the cross so that it can flow through us into the way that we love each other. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured out into our hearts. And you could just picture this, this eternal, overwhelming, overflowing fountain of God's love that's constantly being poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, the presence of God himself that, himself that dwells in the believer. We'll get into that later this week. But if we're having a problem loving we don't have a method problem, we have a flow problem. We live in the self-help world, right? Everything right now is self-help. It's, you know, three steps to a better, happier you, seven steps to the life you always dreamed of. You know, there's, we live like there's a, a million books about how to help yourself. And when it comes to something like love, we might be tempted to go find a book and just read, what is, what is the love method? How do I, what are the three steps to becoming love. I know that kind of sounds like what we're, what we're doing, but we're looking at it from the biblical point of view, not uh, a self-help point of view. But when it comes to having a love problem, we don't have a method problem. We have a flow problem. See, God's love has, past tense, been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So all of us who are in Christ, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's love has, past tense, been poured out into your hearts. Everyone in here who has received Jesus Christ as their Savior, his love has been poured out into your hearts. And if God's love has, past tense, been poured out into our hearts, but we aren't becoming that love... We have a flow problem. Now, I think you could even argue that if we can't give God's love, we're going to have a hard time taking in God's love. But love is something we receive. Love is something that is given to us through the cross, something that is given to us through God himself, something that is gifted out of God's generosity to us. But just as it is something that we receive, it is also something that we have to give. And if we're not giving love, it changes our ability to receive it, right? Imagine now, again, this vacuum, sucking up God's, God's love. As long as we keep the flow going, just a couple little specks on the floor we're good but when I stop and try to somewhere along the way hold the love in for myself we start having problems we start creating a blockage God's love 
God pours his love out in abundance to us, but he doesn't want us to just cling to it as a personal possession. He wants us to give it. Verse 16, God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. God is love. The one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So then we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to abide? We've talked about this over the years, but to abide means to dwell, to remain. It's how some of your translations will say it, to remain in God's love or to reside. It's to live. It's, it's a perpetual, ongoing, forever state of living in God's love. Abiding in Christ, abiding in love, abiding in God is a perpetual, ongoing, forever state of residing in God. And since John is the one writing this and being good students of Scripture, when we hear John, Papa John, Grandpa John, use this word abide six times in five verses, it should send an alarm going off in our brains saying, hey, I've heard that before. Where have you heard that before? This sounds familiar. I should go see where this phrase has come up before because John must be making a connection. It's apparent that he's making a connection, and we'll see that he definitely is. He's making this connection to Jesus' teaching the night before his crucifixion in John 15. Verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. Jesus says, abide in me. Abide in Christ, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides, remains, dwells, resides in the vine, neither can you unless you Abide, remain, dwell, reside in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they're burned. Or if you're at our house, the kids take them and make teepees out of them and then we burn them. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father, listen very carefully, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide, remain, dwell, reside in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. This is real joy that is nothing compared to what the world has to offer. These things I've spoken so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. 
this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. See, if the sap doesn't flow, the fruit won't grow. If, if you are not in the vine, we've got a picture of grapevines over here, but if you as a branch do not remain, abide, dwell, reside in the vine, if you decide for whatever reason that you're strong enough and capable enough and you think you can do this on your own and you decide to cut yourself out of the vine and prove that you can make the fruit grow in yourself, you're going to dry up and wither and perish and your only use will be to be thrown in the fire. But if you remain in the vine, if you dwell in the vine, if you stay attached to the vine at all times, God's love can flow through you. His power, his grace, everything about God that God wants us to have can flow through us if we're attached to the vine. So then how? How do we stay in the flow? We, like, we know the problem. We, we understand that the problem is sometimes where we don't seem to be dwelling in God. We don't seem to be dwelling in his love. We don't seem to be dwelling in Christ. But how do we abide? How do we reside in the vine? Two points that I want to draw this to a close. First, we abide in Christ and his words. How do we abide? We abide in Christ and we abide in his words. This is what Jesus says. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. What does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, I think at least at the very basic nature of it. It means to abide, dwell, reside in the gospel. It means that we just constantly reflect on and think about and dwell on what Jesus has done for us and what God has done for us in his great love, how he has poured out himself for us, how, how we were rebelling against God and we rebelled against God all the way back in the garden, that, that we turned our back against God and, and that we had fallen. And as a result of our rebellion, God cursed the world. And God raised up Israel and gave chance after chance after chance after chance for Israel to be God's people so that he could be their God. And they continually rebelled and turned towards idols and they turned every direction except for the direction of God. But God was still rich in mercy and rich in grace and he sent his son Jesus Christ to be the Messiah, to be the savior of the world. And he sent him to carry the sins of all humanity and to be the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the entire world if we choose to receive it. And the gospel is that Jesus Christ died on that cross and he poured out every last drop of blood for us, that he breathed his last breath. And he, when he says it is finished, he had finished the requirements of the law. He had fulfilled the entire requirement of the law so that we could now be made whole, complete, perfect. But he didn't stop there. 
The gospel doesn't stop there. The, the gospel does not stop with Jesus dying on the cross. The gospel continues on to the power of the Spirit, the power of God, the power that runs everything, raising Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day, and he is resurrected and brought to a new life and, and a, new, a new existence, a, a body that can do a, incredible things that our bodies cannot do. And, and he goes and he spends 40 days teaching the disciples what it means to be one one of his followers and then after those 40 days they have to stay another eight days after he leaves them to pray and pray and pray and pray this is why prayer is so important Jesus told us to pray if there's nothing else that we know to do we pray and so the the disciples spend eight days in prayer in the upper room and then the amazing thing happens is that at the beginning of the eight days Jesus ascends up into heaven and sits at the right hand of the father and while he's sitting there he's interceding on our behalf to the father for us so that we can have right standing with him but then at the end of the eight days, he sends his spirit and his spirit empowers the believers so that they can live this Christ-like life and they can be a witness and a testimony to the unbelieving world around them. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the hope for those who are perishing. And this is what we're supposed to abide in, dwell in, remain, reside, continually be in the gospel, abiding in in Christ, and we abide in Christ's words. Verse 7 of chapter 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide, remain, dwell, reside, live in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The reason, by the way, God makes these promises about ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you is because when his word is abiding in us, it changes the very nature and motive of our hearts so that we're not asking for the things that we used to want. We're asking for what God wants in our lives. And when we're abiding in Christ's words, the very motives of our heart change. So this is how we abide. We we, we continually absorb and soak in God's word, God's truth. We, t we, we, we meditate on and think deeply and ponder the truth of Jesus, what he taught us and what he taught his disciples while he was on this earth. We, we're devoted to the apostles' teaching, personally devoted. We do not need someone to twist our arms to be devoted. We are just devoted to the apostles' teaching because that is the word of Christ. We abide, we remain, we reside, we live in Christ and in his words. How do we abide? We abide in that way and then we abide in Christ's love and that means something very specific to Jesus, apparently. It means keeping his commands. John 15, verse nine and 10. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. The love Jesus received from the Father flowed through Jesus to love us. The love of the Father flows through Jesus to love us. God loves us through the Son. Jesus loved us in the same way. This is how love works. It flows through God's people. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. 
So the question would be that we're asking after Jesus, after the first verse, just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. How do we abide in your love, Jesus? How do we abide? I want to do that. Tell me how do I abide in my love? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So in other words, the same way love flows through us, obedience to the command to love flows through us in the same way because that's how Jesus lived his life. He kept his Father's commands and by keeping his Father's commands, he abided in the love, abode, abided, dwelled, resided, there, resided, resided in the love of the Father. What then is Jesus' command? Well, we've talked about it. It's in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, but Jesus mentions it two verses later, just in case you didn't know. John chapter 15, verse 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. We have to go beyond personal possession to being a person of provision. Yes, we possess Christ. Yes, we possess his words and his truth. And we abide, we remain, we dwell in the truth. We receive this incredible gift of God's love. But it does not stop there. That is, at best, only half of the equation. The other half is that we must let this love then flow through us in the way that we love one another, which happens to be the same way that Jesus loved us on the cross laying down our lives for one another. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, than that a man lay down his life for his friends, 1513. Keeping Jesus' command to love one another is how we abide in Christ's love. We like the receiving part, but I think we struggle with the command part. We like the idea of receiving God's love and receiving the truth and receiving all of the goodness of abiding in Christ and his words, you know, just all that. But, but then when it comes to a co- command, I mean, did he have to use that word command? Did you have to say command, Jesus? Why did you have to say command? I mean, why couldn't it just been a suggestion? Like, if you're really changed by this love, I just, I recommend that you love someone else with it. Why did he have to say command? Why did, why did it have to be a commandment? I mean, doesn't Jesus know how that turned out in the Old Testament? I mean, the Ten Commandments didn't work out so well for anyone. And, and doesn't he know our modern era? I mean, people don't like commands. People don't like being commanded to do anything. So why would Jesus say command? This is my command. 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Who is the Savior of the world? Jesus. How many Saviors of the world are there? One. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. 
One of the theologians I was reading this week, Howard Marshall, he says, to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God is not simply to make a statement about his metaphysical status, but to express obedient trust in the one who possesses such a status. To confess, and this idea of confession we need to talk about really quickly because confession, we just, we just tend to think of, we just, you know, when you do something wrong, you gotta fess up, right? You gotta fess up, own it, own what you did wrong. But confession does not mean that. Confession means to verbally agree with reality. That's what it, what it means. When you are confessing a sin to God, you're not, you're not just fessing up so, because you know, God knows it, so he knows that we've sinned. You are agreeing with the reality that you sinned and rebelled against God. That is what confession is. It is, okay, I, I know you wanted me to do this thing and you didn't want me to do that thing. I did that thing instead of doing this thing. God, I confess to you verbally out loud that this was the reality of the situation. And because I did that thing, I need your forgiveness, I need your grace. This is what confession is. But the same word is used here in verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Confession is not just something we do because we have sinned. Confession is a verbal affirmation. This is why Paul says whoever you know, you know, believes God with their heart and confesses him with their mouth has received salvation. We have to confess it out loud that we agree with the reality that God's Son is the Savior of the world. And if we confess and we agree with that fact, with that truth, with that reality, that Jesus is the Son of God, we also have to agree with the entire reality that God has created around Jesus Christ. To confess that Jesus is the Savior of the world and then to not obey his commands is to say that Jesus is not the Savior of the world because it's the same reality. The same reality in which Jesus is the Savior of all the world is also the world that is built on the commands that, that God has created before all of creation. So to confess and agree with the reality that Jesus is the Savior of the world is also to confess that we have to obey his commands. And his command is love. And he says that his command is not burdensome. It does not weigh us down. It does not cause us to struggle under the weight of it because this is not something we are mustering up the strength and the power and the might and our own ability to do. It flows through us. His love flows through us. And when his love is flowing through us because we're abiding, dwelling, residing, remaining in the vine, then obedience requires that we let the love flow through us in the way that we love one another. If we're going to become love, we have to go beyond personally possessing and clinging to the love just for our own benefit and become people who provide that love to one another.
Do you know God's primary vehicle for disseminating his love to the body and to the unbelieving world is not him? It's us. God has chosen to let his love flow through us into the lives of one another and into the lives of non-believers around us. So what keeps us from giving this love? We have to go beyond personally possessing it to providing it. When God's love is flowing through us because we're attached to the vine, the fruit of God's love will grow on our branches because we're not trying to produce fruit on our own. This is something God will just do in our lives because we are attached to the vine. We're abiding in the vine. And so his love, which is the first fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, will be something that God starts producing on the branches of our lives as well as his joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. His attributes, his character traits will start to hang on our vine. And then the people around us, the Christians and non-Christians alike, will be able to eat of the fruit of God's love and his goodness and taste and see that the Lord is good. If we let it flow. I'm not going to sing the Frozen song. It only flows through loving one another like Jesus loved us. Are we loving one another sacrificially? Are we laying down everything we think we're entitled to so that we can love someone else? I know we've got work to do. I know I've got work to do. I know there are still shortcomings and there will always be room for improvement, I believe. That We'll always grow and we'll see a new way in which we're, we're loving God and then at the same time we'll start to be made aware of another area where we can give more of God's love. But are we letting God's love flow through us so that we can continue to grow as his children? At the same time, are we keeping one another from experiencing God's love because we're holding it in for ourselves? When you understand how love works, it changes, I think, how we receive it. When you realize that what you're receiving, even right now in this morning, what you're receiving as a result of our worship and as a, a, a result of our time together teaching, what you're receiving is not just for your own benefit, but you're receiving it so that it can pass through you, flow through you to someone else. It changes how we see everything, how we receive God's word, how we pray. It's, our prayers are not to be absorbed with our own wants and demands and desires from Jesus, but we as priests, as the royal priesthood in God's kingdom on this earth, representing God to a broken and fallen humanity, get the opportunity to, to bring them before God, to bring their requests before God. And we can pray for things that they can't pray for if we're letting love flow through us. We're going to close in just a minute with a time of worship as we often do in a time of prayer. But I want to challenge us this morning as we, as we end. We're going to, we'll give some time just with some music playing for you to go pray. I'm going to ask our prayer team to go around to the tables around the room.
And if you would just like to pray, if there's something maybe that you need to confess, something that has gotten in the way of your relationship with God, this would be an opportunity to do that. If you can see as a result of hearing God's word this morning, an area of your life where you've been hoarding God's love instead of giving it, then praying with someone about that would be a great way to change your mindset about it. But I'd love for us to put this into practice this morning as we, as we end. So we'll have a time of prayer and we'll sing a song. And, but after that, prayer, after that uh, song, I'm just going to leave some time open for you to maybe go and encourage somebody. Maybe, maybe there's a word of encouragement that God wants to use you to share with someone this morning. Maybe God wants to let his love flow through you in a specific way, and he'll bring that up to you during this closing song, during this time, if we let him. Or maybe you just want to go pray with someone, or maybe you just want to get the people at your table together and pray, and you just want to pray for the people at the food pantry, that they would feel and experience and taste of God's love, or the people in our community and our neighborhoods surrounding this church, that, that through our being here, that, that the people around this church would feel God's love. And so just to encourage us in the next 10, 15 minutes to, to really let God lead, to really be obedient to that tug on your heart when he says to do something, to, to allow yourself to surrender to that impulse to go and love in a certain way. And then let's just let God be the Lord and ruler of this time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love that you've poured out on us in abundance. Thank you that you have given us so much with love through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that as we spend our last few moments together today, in the same room, in the same context, that you would give us the courage to, to step into that love in a different way that we've never done before. I pray, Father, that, that we would not be restrained by whatever old ways of thinking and living and fear that we have been in before that might keep us from stepping out in faith. But I pray, Father, that you would turn us in a new direction, that you turn us to be able to see you and that as we're looking at you, seeing your face, that your love would just flow through us in a fresh, powerful way as we wrap up our time together. We ask, Father, that you prompt us with things to say, that you prompt us with words of encouragement, with prayers to offer, that you give us the courage to go do those things and that as a result of us being faithful, everyone in this room might be built up in the love of Jesus Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.